How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. <clears throat> and today we're going to be diving into a topic here, and that is uh, meditation, prayer, contemplative prayer. And we're going to be looking at mysticism. What does it mean? Uh, what does mystic mean? What is what is mysticism? We're going to be looking at some of these things that uh, is vastly misunderstood, misrepresented, misappropriated. So we're going to be taking a look at some of these things and seeing what does the Word of God actually say about this. <clears throat> now, this is a topic, uh, a discussion, I've actually kind of hesitated bringing uh, for many a reason, uh, but uh, I was with a real good friend of mine yesterday, and uh, uh, her name's Heather, and we did a video over on Instagram uh, yesterday, kind of somewhat related to this. We discussed some aspects of meditation and prayer and, and contemplative prayer, and uh, we talked about mysticism a little bit and term bias and uh, this is something that i kind of brought up to her and she's like you know what we should actually just do a video on it so we did a video on it so what i wanted to do is kind of address that and touch on some things that were mentioned in that video uh that re that recording of the video of her and i discussing this actually will be uploaded um shortly sometime shortly i'm waiting for her when she uploads it to her youtube channel and then i'll be uploading it to mine um <clears throat> so the reason for the hesitation in bringing this discussion forward is because well honestly fear um i actually was afraid of people misunderstanding me fear of people uh, jumping to wrong conclusion and saying, you know, that I've I've gone off my rocker kind of thing, and uh, I, I fear of accusations and all of that. So it's actually a bit of my fault because I was too afraid to bring it up. Afraid that that I I would misrepresent these things, or whatever. Even though I have it written out and studied on it, and I prayed about it, and I gave it to the Lord, and uh, so you know what. I'm throwing throwing it all to the wind, and uh, I do not care if people get upset at me, if people want to accuse me of certain things or whatever because of this. Well, they can go and say whatever they want, and if it makes them feel good, be, they're wrong. Because I'm going to be very careful as I go through this. I'm going to be, I'm going to try to be very selective of my words. Um, I was very careful in how I wrote this this study out, so we're going to be going through this bit by bit, taking my time through this. And if you have any comments, questions, issues, um, whatever regarding this topic at hand, please by all means go ahead and ask away. If you would like me to clarify a topic, please please do not hesitate to ask me to clarify. Go over something again if you're not sure. I do not want any misunderstandings while I go through this. Um, some of these things may be a little difficult for some people to accept, some people to uh, understand. Uh, if that's the case, please just uh, give me a chance and uh, just watch through this again. Pray about it and uh, don't, for, don't hesitate to ask questions. All right, so we're going to be talking about mysticism. We're going to be talking about the mystic. We're going to be talking about meditation. We're going to be talking about prayer and uh, contemplative prayer and a bunch of things like this and term bias and we're going to be discussing what that means alrighty so 
Now, regarding my last video, <clears throat> some people commented, um, that's on uh, Luke chapter 6, part 2, I believe it was, that where we talked about um, filled with madness. Some people were quite taken by that, and uh, there are some people who were quite, uh, um, how do I put it, not shocked, but surprised uh, at it. Uh, because uh, because of how intense the video seemed to come off i just want to clarify something as to that um again please don't misunderstand me when i when i talk about certain things like that i get very passionate i get very passionate about it i get very fervent and zealous about it because it means so much to me uh, that's why i get like that sometimes i really get worked up and i get really on fire but I'm, it's not anger please do not think that it was anger. I'm in no way blaming or accusing or or angry at people. In no way. I, I'm passionate about this because, well, if you, if you take a look at the world, you will see how it's going. Witnessing and evangelism is falling by the wayside, and people are becoming so self-absorbed, and Christianity's really drying up. We're, we're seeing this, and this is a danger, and this is all because we were told it would happen, the great falling away but that all because the great falling away will happen does not mean that we have to let it happen without a fight that's where i'm coming in in that so i'm tr trying to combat this to try to stave off as much as possible the 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 fullness of the great falling away so we need to be on fire for the lord we need to be uh taking the faith seriously and that's kind of what I want to discuss here in this broadcast is kind of the, if I could say, the follow-up of that. Um, okay, what does it mean to take the faith seriously? What is the faith now is what we're going to be kind of talking about in a more roundabout sense. All right, so here we go. Now, the, now this is something that I've been working on for quite some time. Um... Now, I need to back up, really. This is really going to be all over the place. I'm sorry. I'm apologizing in advance. This is going to kind of be all over the place. So it's just going to be me kind of talking about something that's near and dear to my heart, something that I've been studying, and I'm going to try to get it across in a way so you can understand what I'm thinking. Uh, my brain is a bee's nest right now. Okay, so if we go back in time... Uh, when I was younger, I was about 15, about 15, um, is when I started to notice something, and that was, you know, going to church, and uh, going to church on Sundays, going to the prayer meetings, all this stuff. To me, me personally, is no, I'm not blaming my parents, not blaming the church, I'm not doing any of that kind of thing. I'm not blaming anybody. I'm blaming myself, myself. I did not take it seriously. And because of that, to me, because of my apathetic behavior and teenage, you know, behavior, it, that, that, that the Christian faith seemed kind of dry. That you would go to church, you'd sing the hymns, you'd read the Bible, you'd sit in the pews, you'd go to the prayer meeting, you'd say the prayers, wash, rinse, repeat, wash, rinse, repeat, wash, rinse, repeat. And to me, I was not really getting much out of it. There was no power. So, 
I would read the Bible and I'd hear the stories of the of the miracles and the prophets and all this stuff and all the things that happened in the Bible and, and I'd be wondering why don't we really see these kinds of things happening more today and how come when you look at the world you see other world religions you see you know the sorcery and the magic you see power but with so much with Christians there isn't much power and so that actually started getting into my mind and I started thinking about this and that's what started uh, pulling me and drawing me into other mystical practices and that's what started me on the road where of falling away from the Lord and going off into the deep end of nonsense and occult so when I got saved skip ahead years but 16 years and uh, I, I finally realized the truth and I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and I came to the Lord and fullness of faith and repentance of sins I believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and I was saved and that's when I started actually looking back as hindsight's twenty twenty sometimes and I started looking okay now what then since what I fell into is obviously wrong and born-again Christianity is the truth I, I want to start to fine-tune the lines so to speak because there's there seem to be or just from my perception maybe maybe I'm just all alone in this it just seemed to be to me that there's a lot of gray area that seemed to be presented by Christianity that a lot of Christians and not just Christians but a lot of the world as well seem to have a lot of misunderstandings and misrepresentations as to what spiritual practices and terms and whatever really are and so I, I need to start somewhere so I talked with the Lord about this this has been a long time coming and I started to write I started to put things down and, and consider things um, now the best way to start this to kind of get across what I'm talking about what I'm describing let's take a look for example at the word the term Christian okay now to the world you have to just set aside yourself just for a second just step back and just in an unbiased form look generically at the word Christian well if you, if you say that word to the world what will they think well, immediately what pops up in their mind is either you're like either like a, a Roman Catholic or you're a member of one of those charismatic mega churches like a Joel Osteenite kind of thing. That would be fair uh, it, that to the world, to the vast majority of people, that the first thing that comes up in their mind is a Catholic or charismatic mega church. So you see what I mean then that words and terms and definitions are skewed very much so and um, that the art of word study is very lacking the art of conversation of vocabulary is failing and that so often we don't know which words which terms to use in a sense and we avoid certain words we avoid certain terms we avoid certain practices because we don't know how to present it right and we're afraid people may misunderstand us so we try to simplify it and try to make it so bland generic that uh, in hope 
and out of fear that nobody will misunderstand. So just like the word Christian. But we know what the word Christian means from our perspective because, well, Seventh-day Adventists call themselves Christians, but they're not Christian. Mormons call themselves Christians, but they're not. So, so many other people of other belief systems that to the world, if you believe in the Judeo-Christian God, you're a Christian. If you've been dunked as a baby, you're a Christian. That if you believe in Jesus, even generically, you're a Christian. But that's not what it means. That's not what it means. But should we avoid using the term Christian all because the world has, has misrepresented it and skewed it? No. Then why do we do that with so many other words and terms? Then this is where I started thinking and I started considering this. That to define who I am, what I am in the Lord, it is really difficult sometimes because we try to avoid words and terms and things because the world and other people may not understand it. And I get what, what people mean, you know, oh, we shouldn't use certain words and terms because, you know, it, it might cause people to stumble. But that's wrong. And I, I actually am at fault for saying that. I'm at fault for saying that. Because, well, honestly, we have to, we have to consistently define the word Christian whenever we tell people that we're a Christian. So what's the issue with doing that to other words and terms then? So education and maturity in word and terminology uh, is, a, is a must. So the vast majority of people are immensely ignorant and the meaning of religious and spiritual words and terms. So, and not just words, uh, religious words and terms, but how much more then are they also misrepresenting and skewing and corrupting words and terms of doctrines? Because while well, we spend most of our time trying to define what we actually believe as doctrine, there's, there's denominations and churches for every single doctrine and then every variant of that doctrine and everything else. You got the workspace salvationists and you got all these over here and you got the baptismal regenerationists over there and that they're misrepresenting doctrines. So why do we censor ourselves? Why do we censor ourselves? So how much more than will they not be able to comprehend terms of specific doctrines as well? So let's let's start at square one let's back up a minute now religious tradition religious tradition says to avoid using terms that the world may be trying to take over so does that mean that we can't use the word Christian then you see the logic well let's for example let's take another word let's take the word possessed possessed immediately that conjures up in the mind a picture of demonic possession. The movie The Exorcist. The Roman Catholic Rite of Exorcism. But that's incorrect. That That is a variant of that. But the word possessed actually gives meaning to the inhabitation of spirit within the person. And if we were to take a look, for example, however, at Proverbs, 
And we go to Proverbs chapter 8, verse 22. The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way before his works of old. Proverbs 8, 22. The Lord, God, possessed me. Well, that's Ephesians 3, 17. His spirit indwells the heart of every believer. Ephesians 1, 17. But we are sealed by the Spirit of God. The Lord God possesses us. So if we can be so wrong in the misrepresentation of the word possessed, the word Christian, how much more could we be wrong and misrepresenting and, are, and have bias? Negative bias. Term bias is what it's called term bias against certain words that oh we don't really use the word possess because it has a bad connotation no it doesn't we've just been misrepresenting it because we have a wrong idea about what we think it means i think i feel i believe you know how many times we've talked about that we need to avoid doing that well i think i believe i feel well we got to stop doing that about words we gotta stop doing that about terms. We gotta stop doing that about the Bible in general. So, possessed. The Lord possessed me. So if we can be misguided about the usage and meaning of that word, how much more could we be wrong about the others? So let's take a look, for example, at, at the word spiritual. Everyone says, I'm spiritual, I'm spiritual. Well, demons are spirits too. What kind of spirits are you into? So we take a look at Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, Catholic, Sikh, Shintoist. Then you got the esoteric spiritual belief systems. So spiritual is a, is a rather broad term, much like religious. People saying, well, I'm religious. What kind? There you go. There you go. That's where we got to start. Where, where instead of just ignoring the word, not liking it because of its broader sense or because of possible negative connotation that may come about it, like saying, well, I'm spiritual. Well, so is the Hindu. Well, I'm spiritual. Well, so is the witch. I'm spiritual. So is the shaman. But what type of spiritual? What type of religious? What? What? type of Christian we now have to say because what well, Catholics call themselves Christians are they what type of Christian charismatic Protestant Catholic what so it's just laziness because we're lazy and we don't want to put the time into the into describing and defining we try to find ways to cheapen the terms and cheapen the meanings to limit the amount of work that goes into description but that's wrong because if we have that attitude towards terms and words we're going to have that attitude about the word of god we're going to be cheapening and shortening and potentially misrepresenting the faith by the way that we present the word of god we got to get rid of laziness we got to be students educated so spiritual religious these can mean anything in the generic sense 
But aren't Christians spiritual and religious? Do we believe in spiritual realities and we conduct our lives in respect of the spiritual nature we believe in? That's religion. Religion is the physical conduct that one plays out in respect of the spiritual beliefs. That's what religion is. So we're religious, we're spiritual, we're Christian. But if we just leave it at that term in the in the base, broad sense, Christian, spiritual, religious, there, there's a problem in our day and age now in this modernality that, well, that can also encompass Joel Osteen, Joyce Myers, Kenneth Copeland, the Roman Catholic Church. So we got to start fine-tuning. Fine-tuning. I'm a born-again Christian who is spiritual and religious. Okay, that that actually omits some some of the some of the other options. Then is break it down even more. I'm a I'm a born again Christian who believes in the Lord God Jesus Christ by grace through faith through belief alone. Okay, now you're getting narrow. You're you're getting narrower and narrower and narrower in your description. So we gotta learn how to present ourselves in a biblical sense so there's no misunderstanding. Because everyone calls themselves Christian, everyone calls themselves spiritual and religious. You see what I mean. So, if we then step back for, for an example and take a look at where did this problem come from in the first place? I, like, did not the early church have complete ownership of these words, like Christian? Well, yeah, in, in Acts they were called Christians first at Antioch. They were called Christians first at Antioch. That technically, that's our word. That's our term. No one else gets that. No one else gets to use that. But they are. How? Why? Well, let's take a look, for example, how the enemy, the devil, the enemy of God, the enemy of the faith, what does he do? Well, the enemy likes to take everything God has ever said and done. And he inverts it. The devil will take words from the Bible and pervert them. He takes words, meanings, practices they stand for, and perverts them. He inverts the meaning, inverts the word, corrupts the terms. Nothing is off limits to the devil. He even takes the name of Jesus creates other world religions so to pervert and misrepresent the very person of Jesus Christ. Jesus of Islam is just some lesser prophet. The Jesus of Mormonism is the lesser spirit brother of Lucifer. The Jesus of Catholicism is an incompetent baby who needs his mommy. So you see the misrepresentation of Christ. What makes you think he's not going to misrepresent doctrines and simple words? So, Satan creates the variant esoteric practices that pervert the very reality of the practice of spiritual faith to begin with. And then because, because we see the world corrupting words and terms and taking ownership of certain things, we completely avoid this altogether. 
and recreate Christianity. So, let's take a look at the art of conversation. Conversation itself, holding discourse, talking one-on-one. -on -one. If I was to come to you and want to talk to you, to have a conversation, the usage and mastery of vocabulary in personal discussion, like for example, let's just take Shakespearean language, the Shakespearean words, the ability to speak so fluently and speak it with such power and chosen selective words and stringing together phrases and phraseology is being lost, is being lost. And with it is going the meaning of words. And because we are becoming so uneducated in the meaning of words, we're cheapening our conversational vocabulary using like text language instead of actual educated words. The ability to use words and talk coherently is being stripped by ignorance. The word pray, for example, to pray, is misunderstood and misrepresented by the vast majority of the religious, and I mean that in the broader sense. The, the vast majority of people, unsaved and saved, do not understand what the word pray, praying to pray, means. Now, no, it wasn't a derogatory word. That, that, that the actual early church, the Christians in the early church, actually took the word and uh, claimed it themselves. And one second, I want to pull it up. Oh, I think I, I skipped over it. Well, it's in Acts. I, I I can remember the verses, but I struggle to remember the references. But it's in Acts. They, they called themselves Christians first at Antioch. They actually called themselves that. No, no, it's not a derogatory word. It means a follower of Christ. So, yeah, it's not a derogatory word. Okay, so the word pray, the word to pray, means to hold in conversation. To hold in conversation, hold in discourse. So, for example, in Old English, Back in the olden days, if I want to have a conversation with you, I would say, I pray ye, and that's invitation to conversation. So this is also goes to the problem because the ignorance of the meaning of the word to pray also lends itself to the inability to, for some people to accept the deity of Jesus Christ because they don't understand the word pray. They don't believe in the deity of Christ. Well, how's that? Well, why did Jesus pray to the Father if Jesus is God? But if I understand that praying is just having conversation with, then I don't have a problem at all with Jesus praying to the Father. It's just the Son is having a conversation with the Father. But you see how a, a simple misunderstanding of a word can corrupt a doctrine. And that some people may not even get saved because they don't understand simple words. You get that? Acts 11.26. Thank you. Thank you. That's correct. Now, 
Words are very powerful. Words have very important meaning. And we shouldn't be afraid of using words, all because some people don't like them, some people don't understand them, some people aren't educated about them. Why are we censoring ourselves? If people misunderstand Christian, spiritual, religious, pray. If they cannot misunderstand these, how much more will they misunderstand doctrines if they don't understand these things? So, we would, therefore, being thoughtful of your conversation with the Lord is by all definitions contemplative prayer. Let's take a look at this one. Now, this term, contemplative prayer or contemplative prayer, is rejected by the vast majority of the Orthodox and the Reformed. Uh, the reformers and all this stuff because well the the pagans and the heathens and the gnostics and the mystics and all of them they do the contem contemplative prayer the meditation prayers and that's bad you shouldn't do that huh. well let's take a look at that first off prayer what is prayer holding conversation okay praying is not just a one-way conversation if you're talking with the Lord and not studying the Word of God while you're talking with the Lord, it's a one-way conversation. Try that. Try that with your family and with your friends. See how far you get when they hardly ever get to say a word in response and only you dominate the conversation. How well do you think that's going to go? See, praying is talking, dis having discourse, having conversation with another person. So. You say something, they say something. You say something, he says something. So, what is contemplative prayer? Well, contemplation is the act of looking thoughtfully at something, deeply considering and pondering. Do we not do that when we're reading the Bible? Don't we? Aren't we supposed to think thoughtfully, carefully, deeply about the words and everything that is presented? Should we not bring that into our prayer? Where we consider what we're saying and being respectful and honorable, being thoughtful about our heart attitude in the prayer. How are we presenting to the Lord? Is Are we being flippant? Are we being thoughtful? Are we being uncaring and disrespectful? Are we being honorable? Should we not be contemplating what we're saying with the Lord? Meditation is to mull upon, to ponder to meditate upon. Does not the word of God teach this? Yeah. And this is exactly what scripture teaches us to do in regarding the word of God. Therefore, the issue lies not with the with the with the term, but the act. There's a right way, wrong way to do it. The way the Hindus meditate and contemplate is different than how we do it. The way the esoteric and the occultist does it is different than how we do it. How the born-again Christians consider the faith is completely different than how the Roman Catholics do it. But why do we refuse to use words like this? Well, because, well, the world uses them. The world uses Christian. 
The world uses spiritual and religious. The world uses the word and the name Jesus. Should we stop using that too? Why are we giving up words to the world out of fear of using them because the world uses them? The world uses guitars. Should we not use guitars? The Satanist drives a car. Should we not drive a car? So, therefore, the issue lies with the act, not the term. The world's versions of these practices versus the Lord's. So there's a right way and wrong way to do it. And to generically broad brush and say, Well, contemplative prayer is wrong. Meditation is wrong. Spiritualism is wrong. Uh, no, you're wrong. There's a right way, wrong way to do it. So let's start looking into this. So to, gen to generically broad brush this, the, the practices of meditation and contemplative prayer and these kinds of things, to broad brush them as bad and just is just plain ignorant and wrong. Because the people are ignorant of the actual specific specificity of the terms. Because of their ignorance, they're damning it. Well, their ignorance is speaking, not their educatedness. So the issue is when people are regulating what is called term bias. Term bias. Creating knee-jerk fear of the explanations. When the practice itself is technically right, but can be skewed, can be misrepresented. Only the enemy tries to twist the practice. And because of the twisted practices are in existence, people are abstaining from it for fear because, well, the enemy does that. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. We need to educate ourselves. So let's take a look, for example, at some biblical examples of contemplative prayer. Psalms chapter 1 verse 2 but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law doth he meditate day and night let's look at that my but his delight is in the law of the Lord the law of the Lord the Word of God his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law doth he meditate day and night now again what does meditate mean to ponder mull over consider thoughtfully deeply carefully of the specific words so for example and over on my friends video that we did I used for example Psalm 23 the Lord is my shepherd let's meditate on that right now the the I am the way the way the truth and the life the Lord Isaiah 45 there's only one Lord one God there's only one mediator between God and men Christ Jesus there's only one intercessor the the word the has such deep meaning meditating upon is to consider thoughtfully carefully deeply to ponder to mull over what is being said what is being presented just like for example if you're in school you're in college or university, you're going to get a degree in, I don't know, psychology or philosophy. You would meditate upon your school text. 
You would take your school textbook and you would carefully, thoughtfully consider what is being presented so you can learn it properly, correctly, concisely, so that you can pass the tests and get your degree. Meditation in and of itself is not wrong, but there's wrong ways to do it, wrong things to meditate upon. When you start looking at spiritual or religious things that you would meditate upon, for example, Hindu meditation, Buddhist meditation, esoteric meditation, where it's actually a spiritual religious uh, focus now, and you're meditating on something wrong for the wrong reason. Is it wrong to meditate upon your school text? No. Is it wrong to meditate upon the Word of God? No. So meditation is not wrong. There's just wrong ways to do it. So, his, in his law doth he meditate day and night, where you would take a verse, a passage, a doctrine, a teaching of scripture, and you would hold it in your mind all the day as you go through all of your work through the day, you carry it with you. So there's right way, wrong way to do it. Psalm 19:14. Psalms 19:14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So now the meditation of my heart Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. What are you holding in your heart? Is it something selfish, self-righteous, self-conceited, something of the flesh of the world, something of your feelings, your opinions, your, your even just yourself? Other things that you're holding up as more important than God and the word and the faith in your life? What is hiding in your heart? Psalms 66, 18, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So the meditation of my heart. Psalms 119 verse 15. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. Psalms 104 verse 34. My meditation of him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. So, uh, sorry, Philippians chapter 4 verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Let's take a look at this. So to think on, think upon, to ponder, or as it says in the Psalms, at, at the end of many of the Psalms, it says, Selah. Selah means stop what you're doing and think carefully about what you just read. That's what the word Selah means. It means to stop what you're doing and meditate upon, ponder, mull over, consider what you just read, what you heard, what was presented. To think on these things. What? True, honest, just, pure, lovely, good report, virtue, praise. Think on these things. Meditate, mull over, consider. Contemplate. Contemplate these things. Psalms 49 verse 3. My mouth shall speak of wisdom, and the meditation of my heart shall be of understanding. Isaiah 26 verse 3. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Whose mind is stayed on thee. That's interesting. 
the mind is stayed on, where you keep your mind, you focus and concentrate your thoughts to stay in one place. Oh, wait, 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 that's bad. Even if it's the word of God. You see the bias. The bi well, You see, but how it can be wrong, it could be misrepresented. So to focus and concentrate, empty the mind of everything but the word of God. Is that wrong? No. No. Is it wrong to empty the mind and focus on your schoolwork? No. Is it wrong for the doctor to empty in mind, blank out his mind of nothing but the surgery that needs to take place? Is that wrong? No. But if I empty the mind and focus on, say, a Hindu idol or the Buddhist gong and bell or the Tibetan singing bowl or focus on the smell of the burning incense and empty the mind and focus only on the counting of the beads of a repetitious vain repetition, that's wrong. But if I empty the mind of everything but the word of God, that is biblical meditation. So get rid of all the distractions and hindrances and thoughts and things that come in the mind. Just focus on the text and focus on the doctrine, the teaching, the promise, the value of the word of God and what he has presented. Something that the Lord has said, the Lord has done, or something about the Lord's, per Lord's person. Think of the cross. Go down through the cross. Look at what they did to Jesus, the, the crown of thorns, the whipping. Think, Look at the cross and the blood and what he did for you. And Get rid of everything and just focus on that. Think about what Christ did for you and what that means. That's meditation of Christ. Is that wrong? No. Whose mind is stayed on thee. When our, when our minds are stayed on Jesus Christ. When our minds are stayed on the word of God, we'll have perfect peace. That's Isaiah 26, 3. That will keep him in perfect peace. Perfect peace comes when our heads are in the clouds, when our feet are upon the world. We walk like we're already there. That, no, that we walk in spirit, think in spirit, work in spirit, speak in spirit, while this flesh is in the world. And no matter what happens to the flesh, it does not affect the mind because the mind is on Christ. This is the lesson of Peter walking on the water. When Jesus comes walking on the water and Peter says, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, come. And then Peter steps out of the boat onto the water and he walks on the water. Then he's overcome with fear because he's looking at the waves. His mind was not stayed on Christ. His mind was not stayed on Christ. Psalms 63 verse 6. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. When I meditate on thee in the night watches. So spiritual meditation is not wrong, is not bad. Contemplative prayer is not wrong, is not bad. When it's done in the biblical sense that the Lord has taught us, that the Lord has shown us. There's wrong contemplative prayer, wrong meditation, wrong spiritual, wrong religious there's wrong doctrines, but there's right. The problem comes we, is we avoid the terms because of the masses' misunderstanding of the meanings due to the enemy corrupting the practice. And not only that, 
Now I want to be careful here because I don't want people to misunderstand me. I am not damning and cursing and blaming or name-calling anyone. I'm just saying this is what has happened. That the Reformed, the Puritan, and religious orthodoxy has regulated our faith to catechismic terminology, catechismic tradition. That Christianity that it is now must follow the order that these men laid out because they didn't like these other things, because they didn't understand them. So they've regulated the faith to a set of protocols and traditions regulating the faith, saying this is what you do, this is what you don't do, because I said so. They're not apostles and they didn't write scripture, but the scripture contradicts much of what they say. But people uphold the reformers and the old Puritans and the religiously orthodox, uphold them as the inspirations of tradition. But this is wrong. They regulate the faith, telling us what, telling us we must follow the strict guidelines that men have created, much like the Pharisees creating their own laws and traditions in an attempt to protect the laws of God. Yeah, yeah, you're right, Heather. You're right. It is a form of legalism, but only in doing so. Where the, where the reformers and the Puritans and the Orthodox and the stuff bringing denominational distinctive tradition into the faith. What they are doing is they're choking off the depth of the meaning of grace and the fullness of spiritual understanding. And in their attempt, they instead try to recreate Christianity. Because I would love to see what they say about the Bible. It says Peter was on the rooftop praying and I was in a trance. And he had visions. And the Lord spoke to him. John writing Revelation says I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. But the, then these these religiously orthodox reformers, reformed orthodoxes say well but that was for them. But this is now you can't be like that. Since when? Please show me the Word of God. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Uh, I'll touch on that. So they instead try to recreate Christianity by their own opinions and man-written catechisms. Catechisms, commentaries, councils, and creeds, traditions, and protocols of religious denominationalism dictating and regulating the Christian faith. Controlling worship. Censoring words and damning anyone that doesn't follow their tradition of strict denominationalism. Matthew 15, verse 9, But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the, tra the traditions of men, the commandments of men, the ideas of men. So let's take a look, for example, at the term contemplative prayer. Let's look at the word mystic. And immediately some people's eyebrows raise. The term contemplative prayer, mystic, and spiritualism are true in a biblical sense. But the world's twisting of the practice is what is wrong. Not the term and the practice of itself, but they've twisted and corrupted it. Like, for example, 
Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 in the temptation in the wilderness Satan is tempting Jesus if thou be the son of God turn the stone to bread if thou be the son of God bow down worship me I'll give you all the world and then Satan takes Jesus up into the pinnacle of the temple and says if thou be the son of God cast thyself down from thence because it is written he will give you his angels charge over thee they'll hold you up lest you dash your foot against a stone the devil's no scripture the devil's, in many ways, sometimes, and it's kind of sad when you think about it, the devils are better theologians than most Christians. Because they know what the Bible says. They, they memorize more scripture than most Christians. They know what the doctrines are better than you, but they corrupt it. They corrupt the doctrines. They know the scriptures so well, they know how to twist it. They know how to misrepresent it. They know how to cherry pick it. They know more than you, and they know how to corrupt it in such a way to deceive you. And if Satan could, can deceive a third of the angels, what makes you think he can't deceive you? So let's take a look, for example, at the term mystic. The term mystic is an interesting word. Let's take a look at this. Mystic. Someone who believes in unseen realities. Don't we? Someone who believes that they can have access to hidden mysteries that transcend ordinary human knowledge. Before you get your nose in a joint, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. That it's impossible for the ordinary individual to understand the word of God unless he has the spirit of God in him teaching him. So does not, does not that then define the second point of mystic? One who can have access to hidden mysteries that transcend ordinary human knowledge? Yep, that's backed up by the word of God. And finally, number three, someone who believes that they can actually know God. Uh, again, don't we through Jesus Christ? Interesting. So when we say the word mystic, for example, it causes an immediate recoil by most people. But it's ignorance of the definition that causes such a reaction. The moment we hear the word mystic, mysticism, it conjures up images of the pagans, of the Gnostics, of Hindu gurus. However, the word mystic itself means, again, one who believes in unseen realities, which we do, one who believes they can have access to hidden mysteries that transcend ordinary human knowledge, which we do, one who believes they can actually know God, which we do. So, please tell me which of the definitions of mystic is wrong, biblically wrong. So it just comes down to term bias. People just don't like it because other people use it. Well, other people use the word Christian. 
spiritual, religious. Muslims pray, so I guess we shouldn't pray. Satanists have houses. I guess we can't have houses. But that's the logic. So which of the definitions, again, is wrong? Which of the terms that I have mentioned should we not use? Christian, spiritual, religious, pray, contemplate, contemplative prayer, mystic? Which of these words should we not use then? So let's just, let's just continue on just for a moment. People often, when you bring up the facts of the terms, please hear out the rest of this study before you go into so you understand what I'm coming from. When you try to use the word mystic, for example, and you, you start using the word mystic, and you insist on using the word mystic, you're going to have people jumping on you, immediately going on the offensive, and saying things like, for example, why are you so desiring to use these terms? Are you trying to become a mystic and trying to justify it? What's wrong with just being a Christian? Uh-huh. Again, these are just arguments of ignorant traditional religiosity. The words and terms are not something that we try to be. But rather, they are definitions of an immediate reality. They are exact terms of what we actually are and what we actually do. And most times, regardless of the argument and presentation of the facts, they will still refuse to listen to you and are content in their own world. 1 Corinthians 14.38 But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. Let him be ignorant. So let's take a look then at, let's start using the terms. Biblical mysticism. Mysticism is the practice, the act, the work of the mystic. So every single world religion, ours included, is a form of mysticism. And the practitioners of those spiritual beliefs are mystics. Biblical mysticism, dying to self in walk, in how we walk, think, speak, and work by the Spirit of God, as Scripture says, in everything we do. Meditating on the Word of God day and night, being in fellowship with Christ in all we do, say, and think, because it is the truth of reality. And we want to live this reality in our every moment. Whatever helps us maintain, now careful, listen to this, whatever helps us maintain doctrinal, biblical, spirituality. Now I want to emphasize this because the modern liberal personal interpretation Christian, the social justice warrior liberal Christian, will say, well, well I have my truth, you have your truth. I have uh, I think, I believe, I feel how I think my spirituality should carry out is wrong. The Word of God is the final absolute authority. It determines what is right, what is wrong. It tells us what to use, what not to use. It clarifies as everything according to its standard, not what I think, I feel, I believe. If the Word of God says it's wrong, then it's wrong. No if and what's or buts. 
whatever helps us maintain doctrinal biblical spirituality in the mystic mindset shouldn't be refused or ignored only rather reaffirmed in biblical theology and doctrine not censored because of the fear of man and of the ignorance of those that don't actually study the meanings and the doctrines belief of faith that is lived in mind and action is bringing the reality of the spiritual realm and the physical realm together meshing the two worlds physical and spiritual meshing them together is the practice of mysticism learning how to live while you're in the physical world learning how to live in the spiritual world while you're in the physical world that's mysticism this is the practice of mysticism which has occurred through the fullness of biblical contemplative prayer with the Lord that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and then you learn to walk, think, talk, work, live, and everything that you do, even in eating and drinking, dwell to the glory of God, for the spiritual glory of God, for the love of the Lord. Is that not the very definition of mysticism, of spiritual mysticism? Yeah. How is that wrong? Well, I don't like the word. Really? Okay. Let's look at John chapter 14, verse 26. John chapter 14, verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to you, your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Whoa, hold up. Now it gets even deeper. You remember we looked at Proverbs chapter 8, verse 22. The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way. And yeah, it almost sounds funny. But when you think about it, we're possessed mystics. It's true. We're possessed by the spirit of the living God. And we believe in unseen reality. We believe that we can access hidden mysteries that transcend ordinary human knowledge. And we believe that we can actually know God. We're mystics. And we're possessed by, by the Holy Spirit of God. <laughs> Sounds weird, but that's what it is. But I don't like those words. Good for you. Here's a cookie. Go sit down and shut up. So the actual words are important and they lend to deeper meanings and a, a better grasp of the idea that it's trying to get across and the enemy wants to corrupt the terms corrupt the meanings corrupt the practices but the Lord said it first the Lord had it first the Lord wrote it first the Lord was here first he had his faith first. He had his prophets, his priests, his mystics, his teachers, his his people, his worshipers. He had all of his first, and the enemy corrupted it. Luke chapter 12, verse 12, For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what you ought to say. So we're indwelt by the Spirit of God. So let me just paint the picture. Now, of course, we don't we don't sit around in circles in hooded robes, banging a gong, burning incense, counting the beads, and chanting together over singing bowls or some stupid thing. It's just stupid. That's the world. That's not what we do. Now, the Spirit of God indwells us. The Spirit of God indwells us, and He teaches us what to say. He teaches us how to pray. 
He teaches us how to witness. He causes us to be in remembrance of everything that the Lord has said. He gives us the, under, the, the enlightenment and the understanding of the word of God that cannot be understood by the modern normal man. The word of God can only be understood by the spirit of God. This is something that is so high and holy and spiritual. And the deeper the deeper understandings of the word of God only come through contemplation, meditation, regular, daily meditation on the word of God. You want to understand the doctrines and the theologies more of the word of God? You got to spend more time meditating upon it. You got to access the higher mysteries through deeper meditation of the word of God. You see, now, now that I'm actually using these words, it's starting to get across a different grasp and understanding of what it is that we do. And it's starting to help unlock some of the problems that we may have with this. Fear of terms, words, and practices due to the fear of man and personal ignorance limits spiritual grasp and progression of the faith. It does. And like, for example, Angela says here, but you're not going to find many godly people who use these words because the enemy has hijacked them. Well, the enemy, like I said, the enemy has hijacked the word Christian. The enemy has hijacked the word spiritual. The enemy has hijacked the word religious. The enemy has hijacked the word church. The, the enemy has hijacked the name Jesus. The enemy has hijacked the Bible. The enemy has hijacked everything that is about our faith. So why would we then give license to refusing to use certain words while we use other words, even though the enemies hijacked them all? We got to get rid of term bias. Everything's been hijacked. Nothing is off limits. If Satan can hijack the name Jesus, then the whole idea of the logic of not using certain things goes out the window. Living in censoring fear causes one to not be able to comprehend the fullness of dying to self and dying to the world. Because any time that we give license to allowing self-censoring of words and terms and doctrines and practices, we have not been able to fully grasp the depth of dying to self because we're living in fear. We're living in fear. The fault lies. Now, this is where I want to point out, okay, where does this come from? The fault lies in laziness. Laziness. Laziness of modern Christianity. The refusal to actually study the Word of God and study and educate ourselves on the meaning of words and terminologies, doctrines, and practices. Laziness. Most people are just content to just live like religious sponges in the pews, parroting what is said from the pulpits, and not being as the Bereans of Acts chapter 17, verse 11. 
taking every single thing they see here and experience and searching these things out daily to see if these things are so. So we're supposed to do. About every word, every term, every practice, everything, bring it back to the Bible, see what the Word of God says about it. So, religious laziness is the death of spiritual Christianity. Religious laziness is the death of spiritual Christianity. So, let's actually start getting a little deeper here for a moment. Now, let's start actually, let's start ripping the boards off these closed doors, that these doors have been nailed shut. Let's start ripping the boards off. Let's see what happens. This is where some people are really going to start getting real ornery. All right, let's take a look, for example, at Mark chapter 16, verse 20. And they went everywhere preaching the word, and the Lord working with them, confirming the word with signs following. Well, that was for back then. This is now. Do we not work supernatural signs and wonders by the power of God? Some immediately jump on this and say, well, that was only meant for the apostles back then. Uh, is, however, is, is not answered prayer, answered prayer, a sign and miracle of God confirming the word with signs following? Is not answered prayer the very fulfillment of Mark 16 verse 20? Why do, why do we disregard the very fact that answered prayer is a direct miracle, supernatural miracle. That when I ask of the Lord and ask the Lord to help me, to teach me, to guide me, to provide for me, to protect me, and he does very specifically about what I very specifically prayed, and he directly answers that. Is that not a sign of God, of the supernatural miracle of God confirming the word of my prayer with signs following because he honors those that honors them? Think about it. And then, of course, the cessationist will jump in and say, well, no, there are no more supernatural miracles. Well, I guess every missionary story is a lie. I guess all missionaries who have experienced miracles and wonders of God, protecting them, helping them, guiding them on the field, of the missions field, I guess they're all liars, right? Or maybe it's just because you haven't seen it yourself in your own life, so you're using the logic like an atheist. Well, I haven't seen God, so God doesn't exist. I haven't had miracles happen in my life, so miracles don't exist. That's the logic of a cessationist. In fact, the only, the only spiritual gifts that are gone are the only three gifts that are mentioned that are gone in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 to 10. But that's a discussion for, for another time. If you want to see more about that, please go watch my video on spiritual gifts. I go into great detail on that one. So, here's a question. Here's a question. Taking everything that I have said thus far, are we... 
Are we not, in all contexts of the definition of the word, mystics and supernatural workers of the faith of the Spirit of God by the salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ? Hmm? But due to the push of religion and bias of terms, we have to regulate ourselves and hide our understandings for fear of being judged, for misappropriating spiritual terminology. One more time. Due to the push of religion and bias of terms, we have to regulate ourselves and hide our understandings for fear of being judged for misappropriating spiritual terminology. For example, if I were to say If I were to say, I'm a mystic, I'm charismatic, I believe in the reality of miracles and supernatural signs and wonders. You, you would see how from the surface level, some people wouldn't understand that. And they would recoil from that and they would say, Brother Matthew has lost his mind. Because of term bias. Because of ignorance of the words, ignorance of the terms, ignorance of the practice, people immediately misunderstand what you're saying. And this is where people come in, well, just don't use those words then. Why? People misunderstand the word Christian. They misunderstand the word spiritual. They misunderstand the word religion. They misunderstand the word pray. The vast majority of the world misunderstands the name of Jesus. So we should stop using those ones too? Or should we just reach down and determine to spend a little bit more time educating the people we talk to and stop being so lazy that you'll literally censor yourself in your words? Do you censor yourself when you talk about Jesus? Or do you actually spend the time educating the person you're talking to as to who Jesus is? Do you spend time educating people as to what kind of Christian you are? Then why don't you do that with the rest of your words? Stop being lazy. So, the biblical sense of the terms is different from the world's practice. It's truly unfortunate. It really is truly unfortunate. Because there's such a higher meaning to the fullness of the terms. Because when we actually learn to use these words without fear, it's freeing and liberating because of what the meaning of the words are. And, and it's easier to describe what my life is like by these terms and words imagine if if you would imagine if you were not allowed to use the word spiritual 
How would you describe yourself? How would you describe what the faith is? How would you describe what prayer is if you couldn't use the word spiritual? If you couldn't use the word religious? You couldn't use the word pray. See what it does? It takes a chip out, a piece out of the fullness of what the practice of the faith is. Now, this is actually, it's interesting you bring that up right at this point because yes, there are certain things, however, that we don't use for good reason. Like for example, there are certain words, however, certain words and terms that we don't use and there's a reason. For example, if we go to Deuteronomy chapter 18 verses 9 to 12. Divination, fortune teller, enchanter, witch, charmer, medium, consulter with familiar spirits, wizard, or necromancer. These are actual words, terms that God has actually forbidden. He calls these words because of the practice that these give. He says it's abomination. So we don't use these words because the Lord himself has condemned them. Certain words have certain connotation that the Lord has condemned. And there are certain words with certain connotations that the Lord has not condemned. We need to educate ourselves. And yes, language is alive and language language is evolving. Well, there's another word. Many Christians don't like the word evolution and they refuse to use the word evolution because evolution is bad. No, it's not. There's a certain kind of evolution that is bad. Macro evolution. Micro, micro evolution is the actual scientific meaning, the word, the term that is given to speciation where you can get the multiple different types of finches, many different kinds of cats, the many different types of dogs, but the dogs and the cats and the finches stay finches, cats and dogs, and they don't become other creatures. That's microevolution, speciation. Macro, macroevolution is Darwinian evolution where the crocodile becomes a duck. That's nonsense. That is what many people when they hear the word evolution think of. But that's just ignorance of the term. We need to educate ourselves. We need to grow and stop living in fear of what other people might misunderstand. And rather than just living in fear, educate the populace. Educate them. Don't, don't be afraid. You're not wrong for using the words. It's not sin. You're not wrong. It's not condemned. It's not forbidden. I'm a mystic. So are you. We meditate. We practice contemplative prayer. Why is that so forbidden? Oh, I feel I feel dirty using those words. I feel bad. It makes you feel small. People are going to get mad. The ignorant will get mad. They already ignorant already get mad and everything else because, well, you didn't wear your tie right when you went to church. 
or whatever else. Ignore the religious stuffy shirts. Those who refuse to educate themselves don't don't base your faith and practice and grasp of, of understanding upon the ignorance of those types. That's what it is. Let's be honest. Certain practices, certain words, certain terms are forbidden by God for good reason. Some are not. So we want to look at the specificity, the exact specific details of the terms, words, and definitions. Educate ourselves. Grow in understanding. Grow in maturity of faith. Certain practice, certain things, like for example, Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, where Jesus states how vain repetitions is bad. Certain words and practices are forbidden. Vain repetitions. Like what? Hail Marys. Okay, you sinned. Okay, now go climb on your knees on the on the on the Catholic Church steps and say say fifty Hail Marys, or bang on the gong and say these chants, you know, fifty thousand times. Bang your head on the floor five times a day. Vain repetitions. There's vain repetitions. Then there's certain repetitions that are not vain. There are certain repetitions that are vain, certain repetitions that are not vain. Like, for example, the, 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 the seraphims that go round about the throne of God for all eternity saying the same phrase over and over. And, oh, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And that's all they say for all eternity. Is that vain repetitions? No. So there's there's there is vain, and then there's not vain. We gotta stop broad brushing, generalizing. Now, Matthew six seven vain repetitions. Deuteronomy eighteen certain words and practices. Certain things are forbidden. Some things are not. But how do we know what is and what isn't? Education. Education. So therefore, we don't censor ourselves. We don't censor ourselves. But rather, the Lord, by his word, by his authority, by his scriptures, his word is our censor. His word is what instructs us. He tells us what is accepted and what is not. What is a good practice what is not? What is a good definition and what is not? We go by the word of God. We are not the authority of our language. Or even by our language, language in general, where you see even the word of God says, says not to allow corrupt communication to proceed out of our mouth. What is that? Vulgarities. Give that some thought. The Word of God actually tells us vulgarities is corrupt communication. You shouldn't do that. God actually says, and it's written in His Word, not to allow corrupt communication to proceed out of our mouth. But let your speech be always salted, always salted with grace, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. So by that, that then means contemplative speech, where you actually... As Abraham Lincoln says, think twice, speak once. 
you think about what you're saying. It's not just word vomit. You just let whatever just comes out, just comes out. You want to think about what you're saying. Choose your words carefully. But that takes work and I'm lazy. That's the problem. We're so lazy. We just word vomit everything. We're so lazy that we'll even censor ourselves and what we allow and don't allow out of fear of people and even our misguided hypothetical fears. Well, we create the psychic scenarios where, well, maybe somebody might not like this, so I better not do this just in case. But that's wrong. But that's wrong. We're not the authority of our language and practice. God is the controller of faith and not our feelings, not our fears, and not our opinions. Well, then there is something to consider, though, however. As Scripture teaches, as some have not faith, some people just, for some reason or another, they could be very young in the faith and they just don't understand it. They have not yet been educated on certain words and terms and practices and what they mean exactly. So, for example, let's say someone gets born again, saved, and they're brand new to the faith, and you start talking about mysticism and start talking about using the words mystic and mysticism, meditation. They don't understand what you're meaning, and they can go off and start doing, you know, improper meditation and looking at wrong mysticisms. So what I mean, like, for example, where Paul says, if eating meat causes my brother to offend, I'll eat meat no longer. How much more than in regards to doctrinal or spiritual practices? We need to be very careful of our selective words around certain people because certain people, it could possibly be a stumbling block to certain individuals. So we want to, this is why it's so important to educate properly so people know what you're talking about when you talk about Jesus do you define which Jesus when you talk about church do you define what church when you talk about meditation do you define what kind type so it's important that we act upon the faith and take the faith seriously and educate ourselves seriously and behave seriously about it because it is serious So, due to the push of religion, term bias has become a plague. It has become such a horrible censoring plague. People are making videos and preaching from pulpits and sweeping through, through the faith destroying practices and terms and words and regulating strict legalistic traditionalized orthodox practice saying you can do this don't do this well, why because i said so because well the world does that well does not the world have church does not the world have their own churches have their own pews have their own pulpits have their own spiritual practices are they not religious do they not have their own bibles do they not say the name jesus so why are we so condemning and censoring and controlling and strict and legalistic about our language and practice all because the world does it that makes no sense at all that's just fear of man and fear based upon the upon uneducated ignorance. 
We aren't dry religionists. Like college professors. It's all about just base textbook knowledge. It's not what it is. We are disciples of the lively faith. And we're mystics of the living word and of the faith of God, our Lord Jesus. It's what we are. Now, just think about that for a moment. Think about the depth of the grasp of that meaning. Think, think about that. Meditate on that just for a second. We're disciples of a lively faith, a living faith mystics of the word of the living God our Lord Jesus think about what that implies do you see how those words bring a deeper grasp words have power words have meaning and when we educate ourselves as to the proper proper biblical meaning of the definition you know, it's not just a generic, in general, broad brush, mystic meaning. And that can also include gurus of the Hindu of Hinduism. No, 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 no. That's their mysticism. They are mystics of their mysticism, of their spirituality, of their religion. It's it's entirely different. It's not just a, a one fits all. There's many different variants, like denominations. There's many different Christians. There's many different religions. There's many different practices of mysticism. Mysticism is the, the act of the mystic, the practice of the mystic, the one who believes in unseen realities, one who believes they can have access to hidden mysteries that transcend ordinary human knowledge, one who believes that they, that, that they can actually know God. Does that not apply to us? Why are we so hesitant to use it? Well, because people don't like it. People don't like the name Jesus. So you're going to stop using that? Now, but that's just what I'm talking about, Angela, is laziness. So where can we start? Well, I'm not telling you what to do. I am not telling you you have to use these words. This video, this broadcast, is just an inf information video. Just helping you see what's before you. And helping you understand, the, understand what these words mean and what the faith is about. It's learning to mesh the spiritual reality to the physical reality. That while we walk in this world, we walk like we're already there. Our head's in the clouds. Our body lives in the physical world. Our spirits and souls live in in the spiritual live in heaven walk like you're already there work speak think pray like you're already there what defines this that's the mystic walk of the believer that's the mystic sweet communion of walking in fellowship of with our Lord Jesus Christ that's learning to pay attention to the Spirit of God that lives in the heart of every believer. Learning to be Christ-like in all Christ-likeness as the Word of God teaches. 
to be examples of Christ. To be of one heart, one mind, one spirit, one faith with the Lord. As David had the heart of God. Abraham, friend of God. Enoch walked with God. Look at the terms. Can we have the heart of God? Can we be friends of God? Can we walk with God? That be the definition. What does that define? Look at John the Baptist. We aren't dry religionists. It's not about religion at all. It's not about the physical at all. It's about the spiritual. That our heads are so full of the knowledge of our Lord and by the meditation of the Word of God that it just comes pouring out, as Jesus says, and out of you will flow springs of living water. That's mysticism. Where the spiritual reality is manifested in the physical. That's the study of, the practice of, the belief of, the life of the spiritual while in the physical. It's mysticism. Is that wrong? But what we have done is we've regulated these words to obscene. Where mystic has become vulgar. Mysticism is a vulgarity. And these are bad words. You don't use those words. No, we're not mystics. Oh, you, you don't believe in the spiritual realities then. So your faith is just banging gongs and playing with beads and lighting candles your faith is nothing more than just reading a textbook is that what you're saying there's the mystic reality that comes in in communion with the religious that the religious is the practice of the spiritual how can we define this properly in the born-again christian sense of the word of god by doctrine and theology what this says, not catechisms. What this says, not commentaries, creeds, and councils. What this says, not my feelings, not my opinions. Our mysticism is not based on emotion and feeling. Our mysticism is not based on senses and feelings and visions and dreams. Our mysticism is based upon what the Word of God has regulated, what the Word of God has taught, what the Word of God decrees, what doctrine and theology states I have a word for this I have a term that I call it holy reclamation reclamation the act of reclaiming something holy reclamation is reclaiming the terms words and practices that the world and the enemy have taken and stolen and corrupted and bringing them back to the Word of God and letting the Word of God define them for what they actually are and not being afraid of using it the world has stolen the name Jesus we take it back the world has stolen the meaning of pray we take it back the world has stolen spiritual, religious, we take it back. The world has stolen the meaning of the definition of mystic, we take it back. The world has stolen the word meditate, that is tons of times at the word of God, we take it back. And we use them 
in the biblical sense. That's what holy reclamation is. What the world has stolen, we take it back. The Word of God teaches it. The Word of God promotes it. The Word of God states it. The Word of God instructs it. Why, why are we so hesitant to use it? The world has stolen even base words. Ass. That's in the Bible. That's a donkey. But the world has stolen that word and has corrupted it, uh, perverted it to the point of it's a cuss word. You don't say that word. It's a cuss word. Now, again, that's a whole other argument. Should we use it? Should we not? Well, people will, will really not understand that and they'll think you're just cussing. But you see what I mean? Base words. They take the, everything from the most, the name above all names, right down to the most base words of the Bible. They corrupt everything. They corrupt our practices, our traditions, our words, our terms, our doctrines, our theologies, everything. We need to learn to take things back. Now, what's that, Heather? Heather says, are we, in a sense, telling God we don't want his miracles when we limit our understanding of these things? Yeah. I would imagine that misunderstanding of a lot of these words could lead to idolatry. Yeah. Exactly. Now, words are important. Reclaiming the faith goes very deep. Now, my previous video I did on taking the faith seriously about uh, the video or filled with madness, Luke chapter 6, part 2, filled with madness. I talk about this, about taking the faith seriously. How can we take it seriously? Well, to be able to take the faith seriously, we have to understand what is the faith. The faith is not religion. The faith is not physical. It's spiritual. We have to start thinking like a mystic. Where in everything that we do, even in eating and drinking, you make it mystical. You make it spiritual. You bring the Lord into it. That's what that means. That's what that means. Bringing the Lord into it means make it spiritual, which is making it mystical. Walking as a mystic, thinking, I'm a mystic. What does that imply? Everything is made spiritual. I honor the Lord with a cup of coffee. That while I'm drinking this, I imagine the Lord sitting with me, having a cup of coffee with me. I'm in fellowship with him. And I'm talking with him. I speak to him. I think about what does his word have to say about eating and drinking. To think about the passage where Jesus turned the water to wine. And, you know, you, you, you bring the relationship of Christ into every aspect. That is mysticism. When I go to church, I'm not just going to church. I'm going to temple. I'm going to the place where I'm going to join other Christians to worship my Lord God. Think of the depth of that. When I go to my job, I go to my work. I bring the Lord with me. I go to work as a mystic. I bring the Lord with me. I think of the passage where Paul made tents. I think about Jesus 
those holy hands of Jesus as a carpenter. And how the Lord says he's with me in everything that I'm doing. That while I'm at work, regardless what my job is, he is with me, working with me. Think about it. Every single time I pick up my Bible, think about where it came from. The very mind, heart, and mouth of Almighty God. He spoke these words. He broke through the barrier of the spiritual and the physical plane in the realm. He broke through into our realm. He spoke to his holy servants, told them what to write down, and they wrote down his very words. That's what this is. And he preserves it on all generations, and it's above his very name. It's that high and holy. We make reading of the word of God mystical. It's spiritual. It's holy. It's special. It's not just physical tradition. It's not about buildings of stone and stained glass and pews. It's not about guitars and pianos and microphones and speakers. It's not about clothing. It's not about feelings. It's about the reality of God. That he is real. Jesus is real. And these things actually happened. And he is with me right now. And he wants me to be a part of the history of this. We are the continuation of this story. Of this truth. We are in the pages. Revelation has not yet happened. So where are we on the time frame? We are a part of the story. We are the continuance of the early church. We are the descendants of the disciples of Jesus Christ. We are continuance of the prophets of God. Where we go out into all the world and preach, Thus saith the Lord, repent, like John the Baptist did. I'm not saying we're prophets. I'm saying, but we do the word, the work of. Same thing. The prophets were street preachers. The prophets were early church, early church and Old Testament evangelists and missionaries. That's what they were. The prophets would go into other lands and other kingdoms and, and bring the knowledge of God to them. The prophets were street preachers and evangelists and missionaries. Think about that. But term bias has corrupted everything. So what can we do? Get rid of it. Get rid of it. And if people don't want to understand or they're not willing to understand, ignore them. Ignore them. Ignore them. You know what's right. I've showed you what it says. And if you don't want to believe me, that's your choice. Go do whatever you want, whatever makes you happy. But bring me your Bible and show me how I'm wrong. I'm open to correction here, folks. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But show me how I'm wrong. Use the Bible. Use the Word of God. I do not want to hear, I think, I feel, I believe. Show me from the Word of God. I'm sick to death of term bias. I'm sick to death of self-censoring. I'm sick to death of living my faith in, in regulation of fear of man and fear of denominational catechismic 
terminology and religion, religious protocols. I'm sick to death of it all. I want faith, pure, 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 simple, spiritual faith as it was in the Word of God. That's what I want. I want when I pray. I want, as the Word of God says, to come boldly before the throne of God. That when I pray, I'm accessing heaven. I'm walking up right before the throne of God. And I'm saying, Abba, Father. And he hears me. He smiles and he says, yes, my son. And he comes down. He helps me. He walks with me. He hears me. I want it to be real. Let's make it real. Let's stop being religious. Let's start being spiritual. Taking it real. As a reality, the mystic reality of the Word of God. The prophets were mystics. The apostles were mystics. The disciples are mystics. Students of the spiritual as God taught. That's what it is. But the Orthodox, the Reformed, the Puritans, the strict legalistic religionists will damn you. They will they will curse you, they will damn you, and they'll say you're wrong, they'll say you're nuts, and they'll call you names, and they'll 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 say it's heresy, and they'll say all kinds of negative things when you start using these words and these terms and start talking this way and you're talking this. People are going to take this video of mine and they're gonna rip it up and they're gonna try to damn me, say I'm a heretic and I'm teaching heresy and all this it's gonna happen. It always happens. When you don't toe the party line of traditional religiosity, you're cast off and made a pariah. But I'm sick to death of that, and I don't care what people say to me. <laughs> My shoulders are pretty broad, so I don't really care. It's what it is. Prove me wrong. I, I'm not going to... To, to traditionalize myself by strict catechismic protocols. I'm not doing it. You can't make me. <laughs> can't make me. So with that, I'm a mystic. I meditate. I practice contemplative prayer. I believe in unseen realities. I believe... Then I, that I can access hidden mysteries that transcend ordinary human knowledge. I believe I can actually know God. I work tirelessly to bring the spiritual plane into the physical in everything that I do in the mystic sense. I practice mysticism. People are going to take that and they're going to go nuts. But hey, rewatch this video. Tell me what you think. Show me how I'm wrong. I'm tired of hiding. I'm sick to death of living in fear. I'm done. I'm uncensored. I'm uncensored. From this point forward, let it be known. So there you go. What's your thoughts? So, 
Yeah, political correctness never helped anyone. That is right. That is right. Amen. Uh, Heather said that. Okay, and Angela says, that's what I love about this channel. I learned so much. Yeah. Nerolyn says, I, I want real active faith living it. Amen. Thanks for not towing the party line. Wild Blue says, yeah. Nerolyn, so thankful God is using you, brother. Yeah, and uh, again, take these things, apply it to yourself. Go, do thou likewise. Angela says, my Christian friends are already skeptical about me listening to an ex witch <laughs> this video really put them over the top <laughs> yeah yeah really uh, uh, I've been accused I have been accused because I'm an ex witch that before I got born again saved by my Lord God Jesus Christ by grace to faith to belief alone I used to practice occultism and occult mysticism and I practiced witchcraft. I got born again saved. People have accused me of trying to find ways of bringing the old occult and witchcraft in. And I'm trying to teach Christian witchcraft, Christian occultism. That's garbage nonsense. And I deny that vehemently. That is garbage. That's that's just nothing but slander. That's false. I hate and I curse my old life. I have nothing to do with it. I want nothing with that life. I believe the word of God from cover to cover and only the word of God cover to cover. This is my doctrine, my theology. This is my life. This is my faith. This is my everything. I have nothing to do with my old life other than to rebuke it and refute it and to warn other people from it. So yeah. So if you ever hear those kinds of accusations, that's nothing but garbage nonsense from people who just don't like me. That's all it is. So there you go. So Aunt Kimberly says, I've never heard it put like this, but when you put it that way, it makes sense. It makes all the sense. I'm glad. I'm glad you understood me. So if there's any, please, please do not hold back. If there's any misunderstandings, if you would like me to, to clarify something, if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights regarding what I talked about, please, by all means, go ahead and ask away. Do not go from here confused. Please do not go from here wondering what I'm talking about. If you want to know, if you want clar clarification, ask. Please do. Now I have a better understanding of, of mysticism because people do make it sound bad. Thank you for showing me that there's a different definition of it. Thank you. So yeah, <clears throat> the mystic, again, is someone who believes in unseen realities. This is very simplified of what the mystic is. One who believes in unseen realities. One who believes that they can access uh, hidden mysteries that transcend ordinary human knowledge. One who believes that they can actually know God. Mysticism is the religion the practice, the work of the mystic. So, what then is the mysticism, the act, the work, the religion of the mystic, that is the born-again Christian of the Lord God Jesus Christ by grace through faith to believe alone? That's the born-again Christian faith, the works that we do of Christ-likeness. Think about it. So, um, not so much a book and I'm not really writing a book because here's the thing folks and this is what I talked with my good friend Heather 
and uh, about this uh, yesterday we had uh, we had a talk we chatted after the video we had a one-on-one -on -one chat is the thing that I said now this here what I just shared with you is what I wrote up in regards to the introduction because the problem is you can't really write biblical mysticism like this and besides it's already been written this is the book this is the book what I presented today is the introduction to getting rid of term bias so that you would be able to comprehend what the Christian faith is really about now that no no just give me a second now that you understand more deeply the meaning of these things what these things actually are now go back and read the Gospel of John it will come alive in ways you've never seen before now that you understand and, and, and suddenly it's like a light bulb goes on I get it now I see it what this is the mystic walk and what the, all about this about the spiritual realities now go back read the Gospel of John this is the book all I'm doing is trying to open your eyes to what the spiritual reality is all about and how we bring it into our everyday that's what preaching is preaching the preacher the pastor the guy in the pulpit is the one who stands up to help people to understand how to bring the spiritual into the physical and all that you do what is repentance what is what is the love of the faith what is walking with Christ what is dying to self that's mysticism that is bringing the faith of what you say you believe in bring it in you say you have faith but by my faith I'll pr pr prove to you by my, my faith by my works that's what James 2 is all about faith that works is dead you have dead spirituality you say you're a Christian you may be a Christian you believe in this but there's no evidence there's no mysticism that's what James 2 is about now think about that that's what it's about and so again if you want to buy the book well here's the book <laughs> here's the book just open your mind open your mind to the deeper meaning of spirituality spiritualism by the Word of God what did Jesus teach about walking in love and charity and honor and love of the faith and repentance unto God go and preach the gospel go to all the world and preach the gospel what does that mean so you see yep Kimberly says I've always steered away from the word mysticism I never use it I always equated it to a cult to cult things so it's good to know the truth yeah there you go Heather says I just started your study on John one video a day can't wait to complete the studies with this information yeah amen so there you go any other anything else what's on your heart what's on your mind please don't hold back let it out be free don't fear don't be in fear there's no stupid questions 
There's only stupid answers. So, <laughs> so go ahead and ask. Any comments, questions, issues, insights, please, by all means. Now, and like I said at the beginning of this video, this is something that is very near and dear to my heart because I want to understand right spiritualism. And seeing what the Word of God teaches and what it means and how it's missed by so many people because they 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 steer weird steer away from I'm dyslexic steer away from out of fear of certain words that would help define it and help them understand what it is term bias stay away from it stay away from it yep yep so now please understand I want to clarify I am in no way, shape, or form condemning denominations. I, that, there was no intention for that. I am not cursing denominations uh, or any of that kind of thing. Denominations are important because by the denominations, you can get an idea of what they're about. Like when you hear Presbyterian, Anglican, Methodist, Lutheran, Baptist, you know what they're about and where they're coming from. So denominations are important in that sense. Nowadays, it's important because there's so many. So I'm not by any, in any sense damning denominations. Please don't misunderstand that. Yeah, using his words deepens my faith. There you go. There you go. That's what it's all about. It helps us to understand. I'm a mystic. What does that mean? People immediately cringe. Educate them. Educate them. So there you go. So share this video around, or save this in your in your uh, you, in your YouTube to watch whatever. And uh, if someone ever asks, send them this video. So yeah. So if you appreciate this video, this study, please give us a like, give us a thumbs up. Make sure you subscribe and hit the notification bell icon so you know when we put up new videos and check out all our other videos. We've got tons of stuff, um, tons of videos and tons of topics and doctrines and commonly asked questions. and uh, So tons of playlists. So check them all out. And if you have any questions, let us know. Okay, so Sarah has a question. What about like non-denominational? Well, that in and of itself is a denomination. They say they're not denominational, but they are a denomination by all definition because of their strict avoidance of using denominational names. They actually create their own practice and they're the ecumenical types and generally the non-denominational churches by far and large in a generic general sense are very watered down, wishy-washy. They cozy up to the Catholic Church. They cozy up to Bethel and Hillsong and all of them. And they have a lot of doctrinal issues in many of them. Not all. I'm not going to broad brush, but a lot of them, most of them, they are known to be like that. When I hear a place is non-denominational, you can pretty much bet that that's what it's going to be like. So, um, so what I say is, I'm a born again Christian, and if people ask. I go to a Baptist church, but uh, but again, I don't hold anything against anyone who goes to any other one. It's just what I go to. But what I look at is, do you affirm the gospel as the word of God teaches? We'll always have differences. We'll always have differing of opinions. No two Christians will ever agree on absolutely every single thing. But what I care about is that you make sure to make sure you believe the gospel as the Bible says. 
that Jesus is Almighty God manifested in the flesh and we're saved by grace through faith by belief alone, period. Not by works, not by righteous works, not by works of the law, not by water baptism or any other thing. We're born again saved by belief alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in our Lord God Jesus Christ alone. That's what the Word of God teaches. And if you confess that, if you affirm that, you believe that, you're born again saved and denomination is irrelevant. Now, some denominations do not preach the biblical gospel. Lutheranism is a is a baptismal regenerationist denomination. Methodist is garbage. And then Catholicism, well, you know what that is. Presbyterian, well, you know where they're coming from. They're a bit more strict. Then you got free Presbyterian, which is the more correct variant. Regular Presbyterian is pretty watered down and pretty bad. Free Presbyterian is on the money. They're really good. I highly recommend Free Presbyterian. Then you got all the others. So again, you just take a look at what their practices are. What is the type of gospel that they present that they affirm? And if they affirm the correct gospel, then those people are born-again Christians who believe in that gospel that the Word of God teaches. So again, you see the importance of education. Education of doctrine, of terms, of words, practices the the specificity of what is being presented you want to be specific you don't just accept things this is how the bereans of acts 17 11 worked this is bereanism being a, a following of the as the berean uh, of acts 17 11 that they received everything that they heard they accepted it and they searched it out searched out the scriptures plural all the word of god they're all the word of god pairing scripture is scripture rightly dividing the word of truth line upon line precept upon precept here a little there a little Let's see what does the word of god say as a whole and they search it out to make sure of these things to see if these things are so that's education of everything that is presented so yeah and yeah yeah baptist um i that, that there's many different types of baptists again so you want to take a look at the different strains the different types of what they present of what they affirm so yeah you need to do the work so you got you got uh, uh, convention baptist first baptist you got fellowship baptist independent baptist and you got tons of different baptists uh i come from the independent baptist line um but this is where i differ in in something what what is yes i go to an independent baptist church but i operate this is why I got to be specific. I operate as kind of like non-denominational when I'm online in the sense of Christian coffee time is not meant for just one denomination. Christian coffee time is meant for anyone. I don't care where you come from. It's meant for anyone who affirms the gospel according to the word of God. You could be Presbyterian, Anglican, whatever. I don't care. But if you believe in the Lord God, Jesus Christ, by grace, through faith, through belief alone, you're my brother and sister in Christ. That's how we should operate. We shouldn't be clan and cliques and uh, sowing schisms while the Baptists are against are against the Presbyterians and the Presbyterians are against the Pentecostals. And we don't we aren't against each other. We shouldn't be against each other. We're brothers and sisters in Christ if we affirm the gospel that is according to Scripture. So, yeah. Yeah, Angela says... So, oh, sorry, I'm back up here. 
Ted shields says, uh, how do you see the Seventh-day Adventists? They're not Christian. That's a cult. Um, Seventh-day Adventism, the, uh, the SDAism of the uh, the creation of Alan G. White, she was not a Christian. And Seventh-day Adventism is a cult. Uh, that's, that's a works-based system of self-salvation, self-atonement, that they believe you have to earn your salvation by works. Uh, they do not affirm uh, many of the biblical doctrines as according to scripture. Um, yeah, Seventh-day Adventism is a cult. So yeah, there's a lot of corruption there. I have a whole video on that actually. Uh, if you go over to the playlist, What They Actually Believe, that's the name of the playlist. Scroll down, you'll see the video I did on What They Actually Believe, the Seventh-day Adventists. So please check out that video and you'll see what I mean. Um... Angela says, I was in a new church yesterday. I have to ask the pastor what he believed. <laughs> yeah, strange times indeed. Yep. Sarah says, to be water baptized, it doesn't matter which church to go to. It does matter. That is why it is important. So you don't get sucked into a cult like saying, well, well, I like how the Seventh-day Adventists look. So you go there and you're deceived by a cult. So denominations are important. You gotta know what they're about. You need to research it. You need to look into it. You need to study it up. And there is a book I would recommend. Where did I put it? Oh, I don't know where it went. I think I may have given it to my dad. Um, anyways, it's called Kingdom of the Cults by Walter Martin. Please get that book. Um, you can get it off Amazon. You can get it off uh, uh, many Christian uh, site, uh, Christian book sites. You want uh, The Kingdom of the Cults by Walter Martin. Fantastic work. And he is a powerful man of God. What he did is he actually did the work for you. He actually went and he researched... Uh, the vast majority of cults and religions and denominations out there, and he actually put down what they believe, their statement of faith, their doctrinal statement, and then what the Bible says. And he shows you how they're wrong and how they're right. So check that out, The Kingdom of the Cults by Walter Martin. Powerful book. Highly recommend it. Please get that. Um, okay. And water baptism is important, but not for salvation. Uh, Sarah says here about, about water baptism. It is important. It's the first step of active obedience of the disciple of Christ. But water baptism does not affect your salvation. Your salvation does not hinge upon it. Water baptism does not wash away your sins, does not seal the Spirit of God. Your belief does. Um, it, it's the first step of active obedience. It's the first work of the saint. Uh, but again, water baptism does not affect your salvation people who say that it does are wrong there those are what's called baptismal regenerationists they believe you're regenerated by water and not the blood of jesus christ so that's a cult water uh, baptismal regenerationists is a cult the church of christ denomination that's the actual name of it church of christ they are baptismal regenerationists anglicanism is baptismal regenerationists uh, Lutheranism is baptismal regenerationist, that they actually add to the gospel and mis misrepresent the gospel by teaching water baptism is necessary uh, for your salvation. That's wrong. So yeah. Um, 
sorry, what's being said here? What do you think of Bible reading devotional? I'm doing the Charles Spurgeon's morning and evening. Oh yeah, that'd be good. There are some good ones. There are some bad ones. Um, okay, here is a list. Here's a list of authors and books. Look up these guys. Anything by these guys is fantastic. These guys are powerful, powerful men of God. So please check out these authors, these powerful men. They have great books, great material that'll really benefit you. Um, uh, Jeff Durbin is a Calvinist. He's a hyper-Calvinist. He is, I believe he's a cessationist. I'm not 100% sure, but I believe he's a cessationist. He also has some other really weird ideas. He is a good Christian. He uh, is a powerful preacher. He has some great material. He just kind of weed through and ignore the Calvinist stuff. Uh, he does great work on uh, protesting abortion clinics. He does great work at witnessing and evangelizing to Mormons. Uh, they have some great stuff there. I love his ministry. I just don't agree with his Calvinistic views. So, yeah. Anyways. Um, sorry. What's this up here? Okay, I started at an independent Baptist church beginning of 2020, and it's probably the only real church I've ever been in. Yeah, so there's some good ones. There's some out there that's um, it's not so good. Uh, again, you just, okay, you go there, you see, okay, what is the gospel they, pre they, they present? You check out their statement of faith, doctrinal statement, or just ask the pastor, whatever, and then if they affirm the gospel, then just sit in and listen in and take your Bible and check every single thing that is presented and you see where they stand all right um yeah king of the cults by walter martin it's on audible well there you go okay i run into many people that think baptists believe in baptism regeneration no that's not a thing no uh, all because baptist is in the name doesn't mean baptism regenerationist no I, I can say this with authority because I'm an independent Baptist. Uh, a very different type, but anyways, I'm an independent Baptist, but and I've grown up in the independent Baptist uh, denomination uh, the majority of my life. So, yeah, no, we have nothing to do. We, we go against baptismal regenerationism. Um, yeah. Uh, Heather says, yeah, the cultish podcast. Fantastic. I love the cultish podcast. Those are great. Really interesting seeing them interview different people of different stuff. Uh, it's really interesting stuff. Yeah. Uh, they help understand term bias. Yep. By the way, especially Mormonism really helps in witnessing to make sure you understand what they say and mean. Yep. And the, the, uh, the book kingdom of the cults by Walter Martin will also really help you with that. Um, yeah, is he, he goes in in very, very, very great detail. Uh, a lot of my apologetics actually stems from the Kingdom of the Cults book by Walter Martin. So I give him credit for uh, for much of my apologetics uh, when dealing with cults and religions. Yeah. Okay. Um, Ted Shields, do you recommend any Bible other than KJV? English is not my first language, and sometimes I find difficult to follow King James Version. Um speaking of bias um well i personally use the king james uh that's what i use many of the uh, modern versions um most of them are based off what's called the minority text manuscripts um, 
this gets into a big debate. Uh, what I would recommend is please check go go to the playlist according to the Bible. Scroll down and you'll see a video I did of according to the Bible why so many Bible versions. Uh, just scroll down a bit, you'll find it there. It shows a bookshelf with a whole bunch of books. Uh, why so many Bible versions? Um, watch that video. I go into great detail about the difference between the majority text manuscripts and the minority text manuscripts and what that means and how this affects the other versions. Um, a New King James, I'd recommend uh, as well. The original King James is written in 1611. Nobody has a 1611 today. What we have is what's based off of what was written then. But the Bible that I hold in my hands, that the, the King James Bible that people are using is, is what's called the 1769 Revision. That it was revised in 1769 because English evolves. That if, that if you actually were to take a look at a sheet of 1611 English, you'd hardly be able to read it. So, anyways, so this, this is a 1769 revision. The New King James is a revision of the King James in modern English. So, it, so if you are, if you do struggle for some reason with the King James, then you can use a New King James. Uh, they're both based, King James, New King James, they're both based on the majority text manuscripts. That yes, there may be a word here or there that is different. And say the King James uses this word, New King James uses this word. Well, that's a change or change of the scriptures. No, 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 no. They have this, the, the majority of the changes have the exact same root word meaning. And you go back and look at the Greek and Hebrew manuscripts of which our Bibles are based off of, they both mean the same word that is in the Greek and Hebrew of the context of the idea of what it's trying to get across. So yeah, that's why some people really hate the New King James because they're trying to change it. Well, do the study. Look at the Greek and Hebrew and what it's actually trying to say in the New King James. So there you go. Anyways, um, now... Most people say, well, well, I have trouble with the with the King James because the words. Well, that's where word studies comes in. It's not, it's not supposed to be as plain and simple like reading a reader's digest where you don't have to think and work for yourself. You're supposed to think about it, meditate upon it, do the study, do the work, do the word studies. Take your dictionary, look up the words. Um, that's what we're supposed to do. So, yeah. Um... Okay, going down through, got back up here, okay, what is being said. Okay, Angela has a question. I would be scared to go into a meditate trance, even if it's got, no, 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 oh, yeah, yeah, see, this is, this is what I'm talking about, where we need to understand the terms and the meanings and, and, and what it implies, and that some people will say, well, you're talking about meditation, so like trancing and, and going into trances, no, 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 no. Now, trancing, as it is known by the occultic New Age mystic occult sense, is immensely different than, say, what is shown in the Bible, where Peter was on the rooftop praying, and he says, I was in a trance, and I saw in a vision. Okay, there's a big difference here. Massive, 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 universal difference between what the world does with trance and what trance is according to the word of God. P 
Peter was in a trance on the rooftop as he was praying, not because he induced it. He did not induce it. He did not seek it out. He did not try to bring it to be. That's the difference. The tra trance means in a, in a sense, it means where visions and the spiritual realm was broken and opened unto him, and he's now awake and conscious in the spiritual realm. God brought that on him. He did not seek it. He did not induce it. God brought it on him. The difference between us and the world is we have nothing to do with it, and we don't seek it, we don't induce it. The world does. So, we meditate in the Word of God, and if it so happens, that's the Lord's doing, not ours. We don't seek it, we don't seek it out, we don't try to induce it. That's the difference there. So, yeah. Um, it's not needed in a Christian walk with God. Yeah, it's not needed... But, if, for example, when that uh, happened with Peter, that was needed because when you keep reading, you see why, what the Lord is trying to show him, what the Lord is trying to help him to understand uh, as the Gentiles are coming. Because now we, we're seeing the break where it's now going out into the Gentile world. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. Now, going down through Amplified. I have I I personally have issue with amplified because it is if you could look at it as the simplified bible it's, it's simplified it's a kind it's kind of uh, summarizing what scripture is saying it's a summarizations it's not the full scriptures and also because it's uh, uh, the Amplified is based off of the minority text manuscripts. So therefore, there's omissions, changes of context, missing verses, missing text, missing words, change words. And therefore, it is actually ba based on corrupt manuscripts. That's the issue with it. Um, if you use it, that's your choice. But you need to be aware of that, at least that that's what's going on with it. And you need to study out. Uh, what is correct according to the Word of God. Um, Gideon's International. Uh, yeah, that is the American Standard Version. Uh, American Standard. It's based on the, on the minority text manuscripts as well. There's missing text. Now, now, here's a quick, quick, quick way to find out if your Bible is actually based on the minority text manuscripts. Okay, take your Bible. Take your Bible, turn to 1 John. 1 John, go to chapter 5. Now what I'm going to show you is something that's very interesting. There is not one single minority text manuscript based Bible that has this verse. Only the Bibles that are based on the majority text manuscripts have this verse. So 1 John chapter 5, verse 7. Now why? Because Brooke Westcott and Fenton J.A. Hort were the authors, the fathers of the minority text manuscript 
versions and all this. And because they did not believe in the triune nature of God. They did not believe in the reality of angels and a bunch of other stuff like this. They actually omitted these things out of the scriptures and they created Bible versions based on their own uh, personal beliefs. So therefore they omitted, took out, they removed 1 John 5, 7. For there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. That verse is removed in every single uh, minority uh, manuscript-based version. What they did is they took out verse 7. They moved up verse 8 as the new verse 7. There are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood. These three agree in one. That's verse 8, not verse 7. That's verse 8. Verse 7 is there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. These three are one. If your Bible does not have the original verse 7, your Bible is based on the minority manuscripts. And you and they and your Bible has missing scripture. So therefore, you cannot say your Bible is inspired by God. Your I mean preserved by God. Your Bible does have contradictions. Your Bible does have errors. Your Bible is not inerrant. It is missing text. Sorry, I didn't mean to say your Bible is not inspired. There is the inspired word of God in it, but it's not complete. But it's not complete. Okay. Um, okay. Um, I just want to finish up this one on the Bible versions before I get to others. Okay, um, let's make sure I'm not missing anything. Yeah, first John five seven. Look up first John five seven. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, Wild Blue has a question here. Now I wanna be careful here. I, I'm I do not intend or mean to bash on Calvinists or that kind of thing. If you're a Calvinist, I have a lot of Calvinist friends. Uh, we, we can we can we can agree to disagree. We uh, we can still work together. We're still born again Christians. Uh, we just disagree on certain points or whatever. Now, so so please understand. I in no way, shape, or form hate on or mean to be derogative about or bash Calvinists. I don't intend to do that. But the question here: Why do Calvinists bother to preach if God preordained everything? That's a good question. Uh, when you figure out the answer, let me know. Okay, so, um, well, there's different strains of Calvinism. I forget the terms sublepsarianism and superlepsarianism, or I don't know. Different strains. There's, you know, there's Calvinist light, then there's Calvinist medium, and Calvinist dark roast. <laughs> All right, so I'll use coffee metaphors. So there's Calvinist light roast, Calvinist medium roast, Calvinist dark roast. So there's the really super strong, you know, uh, hyper Calvinism. Uh, that then there's everything down to light Calvinism. Charles Spurgeon was a Calvinist, but he wasn't a hyper Calvinist. He preached the gospel to everyone because he believes he believed what the bible says that god calls all men everywhere to repent so he would preach the gospel to everybody because well the gospel's meant for everybody so 
he he did make some statements regarding uh, limited atonement, but obviously he didn't really believe it because he preached the gospel to everyone because he believed, and he's on record of saying the gospel's for everyone because Christ atoned for everyone. So there's that. So he is. So he that would be Calvinist light. Calvinist dark roast are those who believe in uh, hyper-Calvinism of the tulip theology of limited atonement that God has a special select chosen elect that he created little Sally over here to burn in hell. And he created you to go to heaven, but everyone else well, he created to be hellfire fodder. And that the atonement of Jesus Christ was, on, was limited and only given to the special select. And he did not atone for all the world because he did not love all the world. That's nonsense garbage. Uh, Calvinism dark roast is heresy so so it depends on the type of Calvinist and yes you'll notice by the very preaching of the type of Calvinist you'll notice the flavor that comes through that it's open to all or it's very limited and they're very condemning or they're very merciful again it depends because there's different strains and variants there's the two-point uh, Calvinist the three-point Calvinist a five-point Calvinist there's Again, five point, the five points is the tulip. Uh, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints. Um, unconditional election, nonsense. Limited atonement, nonsense. Irresistible grace, nonsense. But total depravity is true. As all have sinned, all are fallen away, all are become corrupt. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. We're lost in our sins. And it takes the sheer grace of the the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God by grace upon us to bring us to repentance that so that we would believe. Total depravity is true. Perseverance of the saints is how uh, we persevere in our salvation. The Spirit of God holds us, seals us. You can't lose your salvation. Basically, it's once saved, always saved is what that stands for. So, total depravity, perseverance of the saints is true, but the other three are completely nonsense. So, yeah. It's a big topic. Um... Anyways, so with that, um, going down through comments, okay, non-Calvinist always apologizes to Calvinists when they refute Calvinism, but I have never heard a Calvinist apologize when they try to refute free will. That's the other thing, is uh, hyper-Calvinism, as many light Calvinists believe in free will. Uh, and even to a certain extent, but hyper Calvinists do not believe we have any free will. That we're just robots dancing to our 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 construct, and that there's literally nothing that happens that is not by the very sovereign control of God. So God is the author of sin. Yeah, because that's the thing. Okay, and yeah, regarding election and predestination, well, again. That's the Calvinist misrepresenting those doctrines. When you take a look at what the Bible says, it says we are predestined to do the works of Christ. Who are predestined to do the works of Christ? Who does God call that, that he wants to do the works of Christ? All men everywhere. And that we are not elect before salvation. Saying you're elect before salvation is saying you couldn't go to hell when you were lost in sin. That's not biblical. It's, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then you're elect to the family of God. You're elect to do the works of Christ, elect to, uh, as the ambassadors of Christ, elect to, uh, in the family of God. You're elect after salvation, not before. So they get the cart before the horse. So they are misrepresenting those doctrines. All right. 
Yeah, so exactly. There are certain things here and there in the Calvinist doctrines that do line up and many things that don't. So again, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. This is why, as this broadcast is all about, is specificity. You want to look at the very details of everything. You look, uh, don't just throw the whole thing out. Look at all the points. Look at everything. Look at all the details, all the words, the terms, the meanings, the practices, and educate yourself properly. It's like, like I said, for example, just damning the word evolution is a fallacy that's wrong because you got macro evolution the crocodile becomes a duck then you have micro evolution speciation the multiplicity of finches and cats and birds but they stay their kind they don't become another kind that's micro so this is why you can't just damn the whole thing of calvinism there's certain things in there that are correct like total depravity perseverance of the saints is right and sovereign and the sovereign control and will of God is true. There are certain things that are true and certain things that are not. They go too far with some things and not far enough with others, so this way we gotta look at it all. So, anyways, there we go. I'm burning out. We've been going for a while. We gotta wrap this up. Okay, how long have we been going? Two hours twenty-four minutes. Oh my goodness. Okay, so yeah, we're gonna wrap that up there. I'm done. I'm tired. And I don't want to add too much more to this broadcast. So this one is all about terms, term bias, searching out words, meanings, and practices, what they actually are, what they mean. And it brought some very interesting uh, ideas in this broadcast. So please make sure you check it out, rewatch it, share it around. If you appreciate this, give us a like, give us a thumbs up. And yeah, okay. Okay, so with that, okay, one last one. Angela's got a good one. Um, now that it's hot outside, I'm going to try cold coffee. Have any recommendations? Ooh. Hmm. Well, cold coffee is kind of a... What do you call it? It's... Not everybody's going to like it. Uh, because of the flavor but again you can do different types now this is where you'd want to pay attention to this is Christian coffee time so we can talk about coffee uh, the type of roast if you have light roast medium roast dark roast so that uh, uh, that'll give more acidity uh, to the flavor by if it's dark roast um, personally I try to stay away from dark roast because they're basically burning the grounds and that's you get a lot of bitterness from that you would don't really want to go much more than medium roast because that still contains actual full body flavor of the of the roast and you don't get the burn the burn flavor the bitterness and the strong acidity so don't go much above medium uh, if you want cold coffee light roast to Certain medium roasts are really good for cold coffee. And how to do this? Well, you just make a regular pot of coffee, put it in the fridge. Put it in the fridge. Um, now, the reason why you want to put the coffee in the fridge is because if you put if you put ice cubes in it, you're watering it down. You don't want to water it down. Don't water down your coffee. Um, so just chill the coffee itself. So take the pot of coffee, put it in the fridge. And then you just pour the cup and you add some cream and some sugar, spices, whatever, and there you go. So do not add ice cubes. Do not add ice or you're watering it down and it's making it disgusting. Um, so yeah, 
Um, so you go. So um, the other types of things is called the poor man's cappuccino. Uh, here's some ideas for a poor man's cappuccino. <clears throat> Instead of paying $15 for a cup of cappuccino at the store, you can make your own real cheap. Now here's something it's called uh, coffee tea, where as you you make a cup of coffee, but as you're making the coffee, you add a tea bag. So if you have your coffee pot, throw a tea bag in there. Pick a flavor like orange pico, uh, mint tea, or flavor teas. Whatever flavor tea you want, throw it in the pot. Experiment. Start with a little bit of coffee so you don't waste the whole pot if you don't like it. And you flavor it with a flavored tea. And it's really nice. You get and then in your cup you add cinnamon, nutmeg. Use brown sugar instead of white sugar. Um, that's I use brown sugar instead of white. Brown sugar makes the coffee more malt, gives it a more malty flavor. It's really good, so try that. So there you go. So that's fun. So this has been a great discussion. This went better than I could ever have expected. I actually went into this broadcast today kind of nervous because I wasn't sure how this would be accepted and received. Um, I do want to thank you folks immensely for being so understanding, so accepting, and giving me a chance to explain these things and accepting it and being willing to hear what the Word of God says about this, not just dismissing it outright. Thank you so much for this. Uh, this has actually been so relieving to me to be able to talk about this stuff like this to you folks, to this audience. So God bless you so much. Thank you so much for your fellowship, for your support, for your prayers. And yes, we do want to hear Christian Coffee Time. We want to thank you folks so much for your support, for your prayers, your fellowship, your friendship. This is uh, This is really encouraging having a family like this that we can come to and talk with like this and also want to thank you so much to our financial supporters some of you folks are willing to actually help us out financially so we can uh, continue on the work and uh, support missionaries and support uh, by purchasing bibles and materials for people for new believers helping us out your your finances go right into the ministry right back to the ministry to for upkeep and all the stuff for expansion so yeah God bless you folks so much. Uh, so with that, I guess we'll wrap that up there. Please, folks, check out our other playlists. We've got tons of different playlists on different topics, tons of stuff. We also have our website, christiancoffeetime.ca. we got links to all our other platforms. And from our website, we also have links to merchandise, to Christian Coffee Time merchandise. So if you would like to check out the, the CCT merch, we have our Redbubble and Etsy shop. We've just uh, uploaded new designs. Uh, we actually just made some more designs on our Redbubble. Please go check that out. And if you want as well, you may have noticed that I'm wearing my Christian Coffee Time wristband. Yeah, the Christian Coffee Time wristbands. Oh, that one's inside it. Where it says Christian Coffee Time on the one side and it has our verse, 1 John 5.20, on the other side. You can get these uh, these wristbands off of our Etsy shop. So there's the Etsy link on our website as well under merchandise. Check those out. You can get those. we got tons here to give away. So please check those out. we got tons of bookmarks. we got bookmarks galore. we got cards and posters. And, and over on Redbubble, we got shirts and sweaters and tons and tons of stuff uh, tons of stuff over there check it all out into good good christian biblical merch check it all out 
and let other people know about it as well. And again, the funds from the material that, that we sell go back into the ministry. Just so you know, we're not, you know, just trying to find ways to live exorbitant. No, no, no. The money that is gained from the ministry goes back into the ministry for expansion to reaching with uh, other people, helping people, sending material to people, supporting missionaries. It, that's what it's for. And it goes straight back into the ministry. Just so you know where the finances go from this stuff, it goes back into the ministry for, for ministry purposes. So with that, because and when we get more, we can actually start adding things. Like, for example, we're able to actually branch onto this kind of thing. Like this stuff, this, not, this isn't cheap. But it's, you guys made it possible. Just ways to give back and to expand and some fun things, stuff like that. That's what it's for. So there you go. So there you go. Anyways, wrap this up. God bless you. God bless all those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. God bless all those who love his holy word. Hope to see you again, folks. And as always, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless. <laughs>